Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. Gathering all the information you would need to stay ahead of the curve on your crypto investments. Welcome to Thriller Rundown. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world, gather around. It's time for another exciting episode of Thriller Rundown. Today is March 5th, 2021, and we are talking MicroStrategy continuing to build their war chest into the end of the decade. That's right. We're talking all about it here at the top of the rundown. Let's do it. The Rundown. So our favorite, our favorite Bitcoiner in the Bitcoin space, Michael Saylor, is at it again. He's buying the dip, ladies and gentlemen, but he does it in the tens of millions. <laughs> He's unlike us, who uh, who, who can't uh, roll over debt right in, into a company and then go buy millions of dollars of, of Bitcoin. It's crazy. But MicroStrategy snapped up another 10 million in Bitcoin. Yeah, that's right. This is the latest in a string of Bitcoin buys as the firm continues to add to its 4.4 billion. That's right, 4.4 billion dollar war chest. MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor announced that the firm has bought 205 Bitcoin for around 10 million dollars. It paid an average price of 48k. That's not bad. It's pretty good. This is not including the 328 Bitcoin it purchased for 15 million dollars on March 1st. So he bought both dips, the, the one on the 1st of March and then here recently on the 4th. It's crazy. <laughs> He's literally buying in every dip. Like, it's funny, too, because I bought the dip both times this week and I bought it again today because every time I see it under 50K, I'm, I'm, I'm buying the dip and I'm, I'm going to continuously buy the dip because, yes, Bitcoin is the way the Satoshi's. Are running short ladies and gentlemen but before we start talking all about that we have to realize though that they have a total of 91,064 bitcoin it has paid a total of 2.19 billion for those it's crazy right february 25th the firm announced that it had purchased 19,452 bitcoin 1 billion at the time an average of 52k bitcoin so they're they're really they're buying it on all sorts of areas, right? They don't mind paying 50K for Bitcoin. Last year, I think they paid around 14K, 12K for Bitcoin. So they're buying it all over the place. And I think Sailor understands that Bitcoin and where it's going as far as the reserve currency of the world, because the more and more, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the more and more everything is moving and we know how bad it's getting out there. Um, Bitcoin might be the only thing that saves everything. Seriously. There's a reason why we end every podcast by Bitcoin Save the World, because it might be the only thing that actually saves humanity in the end. Right? We'll see. But take a listen to Michael as he goes on Coindesk. That's right. He goes on Coindesk TV and talks to them, actually defends his Bitcoin purchases because they're Coindesk and they hate when somebody like Michael Saylor buys Bitcoin and they have to ask stupid questions. And of course, that's what they did because they're Coindesk. They ask stupid questions. Take a listen. Change today, the liquor been taking the pain away. I heard you was giving your chain away. That's kind of like giving your fame away. What's wrong with you? I sit in a box where the owners do. A boss is a role that I've grown into. I love you to death, but I told you the truth. I can't just be with you and only you. Yeah, I got one virtual, got one in that dance, the only two. Man, how many times have I shown and proved? Man, how many nights I've been woke, swerving the 
I think that the next logical thing to happen is for Bitcoin to replace gold, and that would take it up by about a factor of 10. Ultimately, my view is that the world needs a, a non-sovereign store of value, and the addressable market for a non-sovereign store of value is somewhere between $100 trillion and $250 trillion in today's dollars. So Bitcoin has quite a ways uh, to go. It's the, it's the strongest asset class right. in the world, and, and monetary energy is going to flow into it. Michael, you know, last month we had economist and prominent Bitcoin critic Neuralin Rubini on the show. As CEO of MicroStrategy, he accused you of irresponsible behavior for converting your firm's cash reserves to Bitcoin, considering BTC's volatility. Just wanted to give you a chance to respond to that. Um, you know, if you go and you look at the blue dollar rate in Argentina over the past 15 years, it started at being about 3.5 pesos to the dollar, and today it's 1,500 pesos to the blue dollar. It's not irresponsible for any corporate executive to convert a weaker asset into a stronger asset. And um, if you're sitting on top of a billion dollars worth of cash or cash equivalents in the, modern, uh, in the current monetary environment, the cost of capital is 25%. The yield on conventional treasury uh, strategies like holding short-dated treasuries is nearly zero. That means you're running a minus 25% negative real yield. It's not irresponsible to avoid burning 25% of your shareholders' money every year. So I, I think that the challenge with uh, the critics is they don't offer a constructive solution to the problem. The problem is $400 trillion worth of, uh, of cash and cash derivatives and fiat derivative assets that are losing 25% of their value or something like that, and 7.8 billion people that are getting paid in fiat currency So that's losing its value. So if you're going to be constructive in your criticism, you have to offer something to all those people and all those companies. Uh, I don't see the critics of Bitcoin offering a constructive solution. Hi, hi, Michael. You, your your company's liabilities though aren't in Bitcoin; they're they're in dollars. So why would you necessarily buy Bitcoin when you maybe could take care of some of your liabilities? The cost of capital is is approximately the S and P five hundred return over the past twelve months, and you can see that number; it's about twenty five percent. There's no investor on the planet that's willing to accept 0% return on their capital in the last 12 months. I could generate 25% return on capital in 30 seconds by simply sweeping all of my excess capital into an, into an SPY ETF index. And likewise, the cost of capital is represented by the expansion of the M2 money supply. That's also 25%. If you're going to be a responsible custodian of shareholder capital, you're going to have to meet that hurdle rate. So, you know, there's no investor on the planet that would stay in business if they went to all their, their limited partners and said, our intention is to generate 0% yield on all of your money for the next 12 months. So, so to, you know, everybody knows it's ridiculous for an investor to invest all of their money into cash. And so to go to a CEO of a company that's a, that's a fiduciary responsible for the capital of their shareholders and say, yes, you should invest all of the shareholders' capital in a 0% yielding instrument that's going to lose 25% of its purchasing power for the next year. And every year I can see that that's also equally ridiculous. So just to clarify, what percentage of cash, roughly what percentage of cash is invested into the business itself as opposed to assets like Bitcoin? Our company, first of all, our company generates cash, right? So we've been generating cash and, and expect to generate cash. We have about $50 million in, uh, in working capital that we keep in local currencies like euros and dollars and yen and yuan. And our policy is to sweep all of our excess cash into Bitcoin. So, uh, Michael, before before buying Bitcoin, MicroStrategy was worth about uh, $1.3 The company now owns about, let's say, four four and a half, four point six billion $4.6 in Bitcoin. 
you took on 1.7 billion in debt uh, to buy that Bitcoin. So that kind of leaves an extra about 50% of your market value, which is right, right now around 7 billion, is the difference between what the company was worth a few months ago and the Bitcoin less the debt. So what's that premium? What is What exactly is it that shareholders are buying? And isn't it an expensive way to get into Bitcoin when it, it essentially doubles the, well, maybe not doubles, but makes it about, let's say, $80,000 per Bitcoin to get in if they buy your shares? Shouldn't somebody short, potentially short your company, buy the Bitcoin and wait for the premium to shrink? Um, I, first of all, I don't comment on the price of our stock. I think the, the price of the stock is set by the public market. But with regard to why someone would buy Bitcoin versus why they would buy uh, a Bitcoin derivative, if you have um, if you have billions of dollars in a tech equity fund and your limited partners have have entrusted you with the billions of dollars and they've given you a charter have a charter that allows you to buy uh, publicly traded technology companies, you don't have the option to buy debt, nor do you have the option to buy Bitcoin. You have the option to buy publicly traded tech companies. And so, if it happens that Bitcoin is appreciating this year more than 400% a year, and every year on average for the past decade, more than 200% a year, it makes sense to invest in a publicly traded tech company that has its balance sheet and an appreciating asset. That would be the best of your choices. And, the, and that's your universe of choices. It would take you, by the way, it would take you a year to change your charter and then to set up the custodial relationships and the trading relationships to buy the Bitcoin. And it's likely you'd lose all your limited partners as investors while you're doing it. It's not practical for, for uh, a tech investment fund to buy Bitcoin. It is practical to buy a company that owns Bitcoin. Likewise, we have convertible debt that we've issued. If you run a convertible arbitrage fund and you've raised billions of dollars from, from pension funds and endowments, that expect you to exer exercise or execute a convertible arbitrage strategy, you can't buy the straight equity. You have to buy the, the convertible debt, and then you're allowed to buy long or go short the equity. That's your strategy. If you have money locked up in a 401 plan, your financial advisor or your, or your plan administrator won't let you buy Bitcoin. They won't let you buy convertible bonds either. They will let you buy a publicly traded equity. So I think the key to understanding these things is to understand that there are many, many, many pools of capital, all subject to different uh, investment guidelines and charters, and, and capital is looking for the best return. Uh, I think the best return on a convertible bond last year was the MicroStrategy Convert, because it was a bond with exposure to Bitcoin. Right. Likewise, if you're buying stocks like Square or PayPal or or MicroStrategy, we have exposure to Bitcoin. So that would be a compelling thing if Bitcoin is a strong asset. And if you can buy the underlying Bitcoin, then that's a good idea, too. But again, it's just it, it's literally either it's impossible or impractical for many of these pools of capital to do it. And, and that explains why people are interested in companies with bitcoin exposure in the public market. Michael, I wonder But essentially, but essentially there's a there's a like I said there was there's about a 3 billion dollar premium overall w between the company and the and the bitcoin you own plus the public valuation of it without commenting of course on what yeah, the public well, so market values it. I don't think um I think you can come to different opinions about what the premium is, but let's keep in mind the, the stock would be valued based upon the value of the underlying assets. Uh, it's based upon the expectation of the performance of the business intelligence company, which is an enterprise software company that generates substantial cash flow. It's also based upon your expectations of, of our execution of our Bitcoin strategy. Right. And our Bitcoin but, but strategy, it, it, our Bitcoin strategy is to acquire more Bitcoin either with equity or with debt or with free cash flows. So we were just able to go and borrow a billion dollars, billion, $50 million at 0% interest for six years and buy Bitcoin with it. 
And so that's an option we have. And it's possible that over time, we'll be able to execute future options. And so you have to, if you're going to value the company, you have to crank in a lot of expectations. And everybody's welcome to make whatever assumptions they like. It's a free market. But, but, but in your opinion, then, has, has your team, has your, has your strategy uh, trebled, essentially, the market value of the company prior to so August of, of 2020? Has the execution strategy somehow trebled, quadrupled uh, the value of the company just solely, you know, just through magic, if you will? I, I mean, has it, has it all of a sudden in those past three months uh, created this incredible point? amount of value? Bitcoin is not magic. Bitcoin is the world's first digital no, monetary. I'm not saying network. it's not about it. No, and I'm it, talking and about the, it is the most itself. important digital monetary network in the history of the world. It is not magic. Bitcoin is the apex monetary yeah. asset. If you want to look at MicroStrategy, you will find that our stock was trading about $120 a share before we embarked on this strategy. And it is trading wherever it is trading today, but substantially north of $120 a share. So I do think that our Bitcoin strategy has been a success. And I think that our shareholders view it as a success. I think, I, I think that's, uh, that's quite evident, self-evident, if you simply look at uh, the stock versus where it was a year ago before we embarked on a strategy of acquiring and holding Bitcoin. Fascinating to me when I see CoinDesk, who is supposed to be a well-respected, you know, Bitcoin crypto media company in this space, right? And they're supposed to be asking really intelligent questions. But what do they do? They ask the most asinine questions. And I am struggling to come up as to why that is. Is it because maybe these reporters are not interested into Bitcoin or crypto? Are they just not um, looking at the information that's in front of them? Are they going off script? Are, are they maybe overworked and they don't have enough time to uh, read up on this information? Um, like, what is it about uh, their job that makes it so hard to understand why Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy are buying Bitcoin and why do they think Bitcoin is magic? <laughs> it is beyond me why they would struggle with this. And this just goes to show you why mainstream crypto media and Bitcoin media in this space sucks. It, it sucks. And you really have to curate this stuff. about MicroStrategy and what Michael Saylor is doing because clearly CoinDesk doesn't know how to do that even with him in front of him it's just I'm sorry it's too much inside baseball but to me I when I see somebody just do a poor job at their at their job it just grinds my gears okay um 
this is genius on Michael's part. He he literally is buying debt, right? So you got to think of it like this. So he's buying $50 million and, and he's converting it to debt that he won't have to pay back for five years. But he's taking that $50 million and he's buying Bitcoin at 50K per Bitcoin. Now think about that for a second. 50K per Bitcoin won't have to pay back that $50 million for five years at 0% interest. Genius. I know. Because what happens in five years? The next bull run, right? And we're expected to be at 150K, 200K per per coin by the end of this last of this of this bull run, right? And hypothetically, we go into this next bull run here in, I don't know, 2025, somewhere around there, right? Where are we going to be at? Some people think, myself included, that we'll be close to a million dollars per coin, right? Michael is looking like a really genius CEO. This is where um, when people who aren't <laughs> invested and who aren't um, fascinated by the news and, and by the information they're reporting struggle because why, why would they report on something they're not completely fascinated about? They're not completely in awe, right? 24-7 about. This is why when it comes to uh, information in the crypto and Bitcoin space, you really have to curate this stuff, right? You really have to watch who's releasing this information. You really have to, you really have to spend some time to understand, like, okay, who's releasing this? Okay, what's their angle on this? And and when I look at this interview, I watched it several times already, and I'm trying to figure out like what their angle was, and I can't figure out the angle uh, of attacking Michael Saylor on this. I can't figure it out. Like, what was the angle on attacking MicroStrategy on this? Like, was it to make him feel like he's not a part of the Bitcoin space? I don't get it. But this was a genius move on Sailor's part to, to, to use company debt and buy Bitcoin right now because he knows in five years, this is going to be close to a million dollars per coin, possibly, right? And not only that, but the reporter talking about like Bitcoin is magic. It's like, what does he not understand sound money? And most of y'all do, right? Like every single one of you understands sound money. And that's the, the hard thing to recognize. And, and we see this time and time again in our media, right? And I don't want to go too far off from, from the Bitcoin topic, but it is a reoccurring theme that we're seeing here around the world where our media struggles to understand that most people watching nowadays, media, news, all that sorts of information, probably know more than the people that are actually reporting it. And so what do they do? They go to people that are doing this independently, right? Because they want, they want the people that actually are enthralled. They want the people that are actually consumed. They want the people that are actually like religiously looking at this stuff all the time. <laughs> like me, <laughs> who gets off of work, spends hours looking at this, you know, and really is assessing everything at one time and, and trying to understand like what all these angles are and then presenting it to y'all. Because at the end of the day, this is what I do. This is what I, this is what fascinates me most. Right. But I don't know. It, it's just, it's just really sad because they had a really good interview here with somebody who is a really a really intelligent person, probably one of the most intelligent CEOs in this country. And they had an opportunity to ask them all sorts of interesting questions. Um, and they failed to do that on every single level, but they're going to continue building this, this, this war chest. And I wish one of the questions they would have asked them would have been, Hey, Michael, at the end of this decade, when we get to close to $10 million per coin, are you going to be looking to purchase <laughs> other companies? When these other companies fail to buy Bitcoin, because they will, are you going to be willing to scoop them up for pennies on the pennies? Because <laughs> they will. And something tells me, man, I would have loved to hear him answer that question. Something tells me he would have said yes. And I think that's his strategy. I, I think if you, if, you, if you listen to most of his conversations that he has, this guy is very much a big reader into the history of how companies are run 
He he is a um, it's like he's almost he's been waiting his whole life for this moment to seize it and is ready to um, move his company forward into this new this new time that we're in. And that's Bitcoin. With that, let's get into five good minutes. Let's do it. So today in five good minutes, we are talking, I saw this Bitcoin chart. Now I'm unable to see it. So I'm just going to share it with y'all. <laughs> Seriously. Um, it was an amazing trading shot chart that talks about hundred K Bitcoin by May. And, um, quite frankly, I know it doesn't look like it because technically we're at 48 K and a lot of you are feeling bearish out there and that's okay. That's fine. But uh, we're going to talk about it anyway. Start the timer. Okay. So before we get into that, I want to I want to explain what's going on out there, because a lot of people are like, well, car, you know, you said we're going to be at 75K by the end of March. And hey, bud, we're five days into March and it's looking pretty bad. <laughs> I would say, you know what? You got a point. You do got a point. But I'm going to say there's some things, you know, underneath the sleeve that you're just not thinking about. Right. And I, I probably should have put it in Bitcoin in March, but, you know, it was just uh, too much information already what it was. And but I really wanted to put in the commodity super cycle because I felt like that was the most important information that everybody should know, because that goes out to a lot of people. OK, but it's a good thing you have premium because now you get to know <laughs> even more information as to what's going on. So. Five days into it, it's not looking good, right? Everybody's scared and I get it. I get it. I'm not scared. I'm buying the dip. I'm feeling awesome right now because I know here very soon, like in the next couple weeks soon, everything's going to turn around. So first things first, Coinbase. That's right. Coinbase. Coinbase is going to release their IPO and it's game over at that point, ladies and gentlemen. And you can probably expect this. You could probably expect some news on this by next week. If not next week, I would say the week after they're going to release um, news. They're going to release a date. Um, there's rumors of the 10th being either the IPO date or the date that they're going to release the news. So, yeah, once Coinbase gets that launch for the IPO and it's already trading in the private market, um, it's, it's game over at that point. And. I think most people just need to realize that everybody's looking at Coinbase as being the next Facebook, the next Google right now. And there's so much talk about how they're going to be the next, you know, Goldman Sachs of the future and JP Morgan. So this is all going to all going to validate Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. This is going to be huge for the entire space. And it's also going to validate other exchanges. So it's going to give us a lot of airtime. You're going to see Brian Armstrong make the media rounds. It's, it's going to be big for us. And this can get more people talking about Bitcoin. It's going to be big for Bitcoin. It's going to cause a boost. And the other thing that's going to cause the major boost is going to be the $1.9 trillion <laughs> fiat printing that's happening here on the 14th or the 19th. And, um, that's going to be another fuel to the fire that's going to get this rocket boosted even further. So, yeah, 75K is definitely happening. Uh, even if, like I said, even if we don't hit 75K by the 31st, we're giving, we're getting to 70, guaranteed. And we'll probably hit 75K by that Friday. So I might be a couple of days off, but still, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> and so let me, let me talk about this trading shot chart because this is amazing. So make sure to take a look at the newsletter today because it's it's fascinating. Trading shot is showing that we're going to hit 100K by May. And he's looking at this kind of, I guess, and it's not so much euphoria. Um, it's more of a parabolic run that we had in 2016 to 2017. And it matches up perfect with what kind of what we're doing now. 
And if you look at the two sequences, you know, they look fairly similar. And he's done this before in the past, right? Where he takes these two charts from different times of Bitcoin and they kind of play out the exact same way. And most charters kind of do this where they'll, they'll look at two different price projections from two different times and they kind of play out the exact same way. And these fractals are looking very similar in how they're playing out. And if you look here, May looks at looks like 100K um, by May. And, you know, we have our consensus, you know, conference here in May. And so that's going to be big for the space. And May is always a bullish month in Bitcoin. Um, so that's going to be amazing. April's always, uh, you know, somewhat bullish month. And I know there's a lot of people out there who are saying, well, March, March is never a bullish month for Bitcoin. It's always a, you know, a bearish month for Bitcoin. Yeah, but you know what time, you know what day, you know what year it wasn't? You know what year it was a bullish month, I should say? The year that we had the double top. That's right. And you know what, you know what year we're going to have another double top in? This year. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. If you do your history, if you do your fact checking, then you can stay away from whatever other people are saying. Because I hear that. I hear I hear everything, ladies and gentlemen. I hear people saying, well, March is a bearish month. It's going to be a bearish month for for Bitcoin and crypto because, you know, March is always a bearish month. And they're right. They're, they're right. They're, they're right. It is a bearish month, except for the one year that we had a double top. <laughs> and where are we going to have a double top? This year. So that's what I'm saying. It's, it's good to do your research. It's good to do your homework. It's good to do your history. And it's good to just know the damn space and follow your gut on this stuff, right? So I think we're I think we're all set here for 75k Bitcoin by the end of the month. I really want to be wrong. I want to be wrong because it'll it'll make me feel <laughs> it'll make me it'll make me try harder. It'll be like, man, car, you just weren't you were we weren't good. You just were looking at everything wrong. And maybe you just need to work 10 times harder. So I in all honesty, I wish I wish I am wrong, <laughs> but I have a feeling I'm not going to be. I, I really doubt it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I'm I'm pretty accurate, and when it comes to a bull market, you're even more accurate um, because it's a bull market and everything goes up. So, I would say, I would say for the last past twelve months, we've we've been we've been pretty dead accurate. But in a bull market, you're even you're even hitting bullseye all the time. But in this in this situation, 75k Bitcoin by the end of March, hell of a cough. I get that right because I've been I've been saying it since January. We'll see, we'll see. But I think I think we're gonna get there. I still think we're gonna get there. And even Training Shot thinks we're gonna get there. He has 70k by April 1st. So we'll see. Okay, with that, let's get into. Oh, there's there's the ring. Let's get into the hard truth. So today in The Hard Truth, we are talking about how investors are slowly waking up to Bitcoin. And this is kind of surprising. You know, for the longest time, uh, we were led to believe that institutional investors were, were piling in. Well, there is a recent article from Jurin Timmer. He is the director of Global Macro Fidelity Global Asset Allocation. And he actually just released his own kind of dossier on Bitcoin. And... Uh, he talks about the Bitcoin white paper and um, he talks about how, in his view, he sees that some investors may wish to consider Bitcoin alongside their their portfolio, which is 60-40 stock bond portfolios. And when I see this, I'm just like dumbfounded because this is something that should should have been released back in 2018, <laughs> you know, at the at the at the latest. Um and then, then we're also seeing, you know, Citibank, you know, has released a report, about, a report about Bitcoin. And according to the bank, Bitcoin might achieve mainstream adoption, um, but they see some obstacles still lie ahead in its path. And they also released a report. And then, and then you also see here 
with uh, Mark Cuban. He's been going all over the, um, the uh, I guess, YouTube rounds and talking to uh, all sorts of uh, people in the space about NFTs and Ethereum and, you know, how he's going to move the Dallas Mavericks <laughs> into the Ethereum blockchain space and how he's going to utilize their, their blockchain and all sorts of stuff. Uh, anyways, um, and then you even have somebody like Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary. He's talking about how he's allocating now into Bitcoin and holding 3% you know, of, of Ethereum and Bitcoin. And that's kind of interesting. And then you also see uh, the CBOE, right? They're ratcheting up um, pressure on the SEC to release their own ETF because they saw exactly what Canada just did when they released their own ETFs. And that was one of the most successful ETFs <laughs> in history, right? So um, you're barely starting to see people come around. And this is normal. This is not surprising, I would say. You know, we're usually, you know, probably a year before we're usually a year early before everybody else, you know, the Bitcoin and crypto space. Um, so this makes sense. We're, they're literally, they're probably, you know, people are barely coming around to what, what our narrative was back in 2019, I would imagine maybe 2018, even, maybe even back then. Um, but it's, it's interesting how they're barely starting to allocate, but I think the people with the real money, you know, the black rocks, uh, micro strategies to these big corporations, these, these forward leaning companies, right. With the, with the, like the people that see the vision, um, I should say, um, they're, they're the ones, uh, who are allocating first because they want to, they want to get the head start. And, uh, interesting enough, Tim Draper, who is, um, one of the biggest Bitcoin bulls in the space, we also had Grayscale Investment CEO Michael Sonnenschein, who is very, very, very interesting to hear talk. Right, he's he's all over the place when it comes to uh, talking about Bitcoin, and he kind of always leaks out <laughs> some information. Or if you read between the lines, he can. Um, but they were at the Montgomery Summit here in a uh, virtual summit, as you would say, here in 2021. That just got released this week. And they were talking about how they have, you know, not only venture firms of, of themselves that they're allocating Bitcoin to, but they were talking about how this space is being perceived and how Bitcoin is being perceived and, and how Bitcoin is being allocated to these corporations and just how everybody's slowly waking up to this and and how some will get left behind and, and, and some, like MicroStrategy, have already made the jump. And um, Michael, the CEO of Grayscale sees it completely different. He sees it as people entering later this year. And of course he would know he holds a lot of Bitcoin, <laughs> right? So take a listen. CFO of a big company that has a lot of cash, you, you're watching as the dollar is going to drift down and you've got a lot of dollars and you're saying, well, wait, I need to hedge against this. You're going to see the dollar drift down and then you're going to go, wait, I, I, I need to do something here. The more bold entrepreneurial uh, companies that have grown to great stakes, they realize that that uh, they can take a bold move 
and take a lot of their cash and put it into Bitcoin. Um, these larger companies are, are usually a little bit more conservative, um, but they're going to be looking and going, oh, look at the cash. I mean, Apple, Apple has cash, so much cash. If they don't, if they, if they don't buy something with that, their shareholders are going to naturally drift lower um, in, the, in the value of that asset over the next three or four years because we've printed so much of it. I don't so see this Apple is a, doing it, Tim. Do you? I don't see Apple buying Bitcoin. Well, not right now. I mean, I think, um, you know, um, Zuckerberg wants to emulate it. He wants to create his own. Um, but then, of course, it's centralized, so it loses that decentralized value that you get from being a global currency that's decentralized. Um, and Apple, uh, you know, they they want everybody to go on Apple Pay. Well, I think they're going to eventually say, well, let's, we should accept uh, Bitcoin and Apple Pay. And and you mentioned that the price of Bitcoin keeps going up, and so people don't want to spend it on their uh, on their uh, these little products, the smaller coffees or whatever. Um, you know, that'll come and go as as Bitcoin goes up and down. Um, I think in general, people will try to acquire and own more Bitcoin and move slowly away from dollars as more products are available to be bought with Bitcoin. And as that transition happens, you're going to see people shrinking their dollar wallet and growing their Bitcoin wallets. Um, I mean, that's the way I manage my money. I want to make sure that I've um, got enough. Uh, dollars to pay my capital calls for all my venture activities. Um, but after that, it's like, well, I, I need to buy more Bitcoin. So when I have a big win or whatever, I take it and I move it into Bitcoin. Now I have, you know, you love the micro payments. I have this long-term vision for venture capital that I hope happens soon where I can raise a fund completely in Bitcoin. I invest in all my portfolio companies in Bitcoin. They pay their employees and suppliers all in Bitcoin. We put the whole thing on a smart contract. Um, they keep perfect records on the blockchain. And, uh, and anytime one of those companies uh, becomes liquid, that money then drops into the waterfall and drops into all of my investors' hands um, in their, uh, their ratio. And it all happens automatically. I need no audit. I need no um, accounting system. I need no bookkeeper. I need no uh, transfer agent. Um, it, it can all be done in that one controlled environment. And then, of course, the way Carta has grown, um, this system can grow starting from the venture business and grow to the rest of the economy where we're all using um, Bitcoin. And that way, the blockchain keeps perfect records. So you don't have a need to pay your accountant, you know, a million dollars to just check the numbers that are already done <laughs> on the blockchain. And, um, and as we get identity nailed, where, uh, where people always know who, who it is sending the money, taking the money, whatever. Um, once that's nailed and we're getting there, Unimid is working on something very, uh, it's very simple, no passwords, no nothing, and they will know it's you. Um, then the hacking and the, the people around the edges who are trying to steal, uh, they go away. And suddenly we have a system of trust. And as you know, trust creates huge wealth. The more trusting around a system, the more wealthy a country, the more the least the less trusting around a system, the less trusting the country. So now we'll have true trust. And that will build the whole world economy at an incredible rate. You know, is, I don't know if it'll be Netflix. So exciting. Though, I mean, I hope you guys feel this. <laughs> it is so well, exciting. It is. I, I don't know if it'll be Netflix that is next, but when, you know, I think you'll see over the course of, of this year, over 2021, I mean, the companies that so far have added Bitcoin to their treasury generally speaking, I'd construe them as companies being led by visionaries, um, Elon Musk, Jack Dorsey, you know, Michael Saylor, these kinds of folks. 
um, the companies themselves, their business models, their products and services are disruptors and, and, and um, are real innovators in, in their respective categories. Um, so I, I am not surprised to see those types of leaders or businesses embrace um, what has clearly you know, become uh, a technology that is really reshaping and re reconstituting what we consider money. Um, and for the first time, we have a global mechanism, um, to Tim's point about trust, a global consensus mechanism that's honestly more powerful than almost any other technology that we've ever used. And I would say over the course of 2021, you're going to start to see other companies that may not be as visionary or as disruptive begin to allocate to Bitcoin on their balance sheets. Um, you know, we could speculate that a company like Apple maybe should because they hold so much cash. And if to Tim's point, the, you know, cash is being printed like toilet paper, um, then, then maybe you shouldn't be holding on to as much cash and you should be diversifying that exposure into new return streams like Bitcoin in an environment that's super low yielding. I think as a corporate treasurer now, there is no longer the risk involved in thinking about diversifying some of your treasury program into an asset like this. Now, I think one of the knock-on effects of doing this, which has, I think, frustrated me and quite a few folks in the Bitcoin community, is the fact that when a company does, in fact, make these allocations, number one, they are generally a small allocation. You know, a billion dollars on Tesla's balance sheet is not something that's sizable. Um, but what unfortunately ends up happening is that the associated common stock of that company starts being traded as though it is a barometer for Bitcoin. Um, when, and it really starts to have a meaningful departure from actually the way that that stock should actually be valued based on its cash flows and ability to operate as a business. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not that trend continues in when and if the investment community continues to digest these moves by companies in that manner. But I certainly think you will see a lot more companies allocating um, to Bitcoin on their balance sheets this year. And I think we, we called it, you know, that once Tesla got in, everybody was going to start getting in. And, you know, you even had technologists, at least in my field, where they were allocating into Bitcoin. And now everybody who is a technologist is allocating into Bitcoin. And then now you have CEOs pay attention, you know, and look into Bitcoin. And when MicroStrategy had their conference, you know, in February, that was another big signal that other companies were looking, you know, and even companies that didn't want to be seen, <laughs> you know, at that conference, that virtual conference that were that were, were going to be allocating to Bitcoin. I think, I think now this quarter just ended here. I think now people are ready to do their due diligence. They have they have all the facts and hopefully everybody are ready to do that here this quarter. And I think that's when you're going to start seeing everything start pumping here towards the end of the year. And I think people are going to start moving towards that direction. Right. And so what we're going to start seeing is these big companies, you know, like Netflix, like Amazon, like Microsoft, like Google, and possibly even Apple. One of those are going to drop. And then one by one, the rest of them are going to drop. It's, it's inevitable. Bitcoin is an inevitability. You know, whether people want to admit it or not, you're either going to get on Bitcoin right now or you're going to get on it later. But at some point, 
you're going to have to get on the Bitcoin train or it's going to leave you behind. It's just, <laughs> it's just how Satoshi created it. It's genius. And it's definitely not magic. <laughs> okay. So one of the things that I started doing, believe it or not, is I started allocating most of my money over to Bitcoin at this point. Um, I, I literally have just enough to pay bills and to have for the week, uh, have a little bit for emergencies, uh, but the rest, the rest is, is in Bitcoin and every it's happening every week now. Uh, before I was a little bit more cash conservative, not anymore. Um, at this point, uh, it's very little cash, <laughs> very little, very little of that in the bank now. But I think it's it's realizing now that ultimately what is really going on is dilution, dilution of the currency, hyperinflation. It's happening every day, right? And it's going to happen considerably here on the 14th. And it really makes me angry to know that everybody who works hard out there, nine to five or whatever hours you're working overnight or all hours of the morning, it's all for nothing. Because Powell is just going to push a button and there goes 1.9 trillion. See you next time.